makes you such a threat. We choose the right to be who we are. We know the difference between the reality of freedom and the illusion of freedom. There's a way to live with Earth and a way not to live with Earth. We choose the way of Earth. It's about power. Chasha. Greetings and good day and welcome, my relatives. I shake your hands with good feelings in my heart. And it's a good day for all of us to be here. It really is. In addition to relativity, this is First Voices Radio. And I send you greetings and strength from the east gate of Turtle Island, where the sun and the water touch the earth at once. I'm your host, Teokasin Ghost Horse, and this is an all-native hosted and all-native produced First Voices Radio. And Liz Hill is a producer of First Voices Radio. Our studio engineer is the Malcolm Byrne. And you can hear us on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Buzzsprout, Spotify, as well as First Voices, IndigenousRadio.org for archiving, downloading, and listening. Shelley Buck, who is our our first guest is the president of Prairie Island Mediwakanta Indian Community in Minnesota. And the Prairie Island Indian Community is a federally recognized Indian nation. It's located in southeastern Minnesota along the banks of the Mississippi River, approximately 30 miles from the Minneapolis and St. Paul. And after reading an article in the New York Times, Flooding and Nuclear Waste Eat Away at a Tribe's Ancestral Home, I wanted to invite President Buck back to this radio program to give us an update on the ongoing environmental situations and, as I would say, have said for a long time, the crisis facing Prairie Island people, dangers they have been facing since 1930s. And President Shelley Buck is serving her fifth term on Prairie Island Tribal Council and third term as president. And to find out more about Prairie Island Indian Community, is prairieisland.org. And now, President Shelley Buck. Thank you for joining us, Shelley Buck, for First Voices Radio. There's a lot of things going on on Prairie Island Indian community where you live. And I noticed something written in the New York Times, November 13th, and it talks about the chronic flooding that continues um, on that Minnesota reservation. It sounds and feels like an urgency going on. Thank you for joining us. Yes, definitely. Yeah, it's been an urgency for almost a century. Um, Back in the 1930s, they built the Lock and Dam. The Army Corps of Engineers was authorized to build the Lock and Dam just down about a 
just south of us that flooded our a portion of our reservation land at the time. And um, a small portion of that reservation land is still literally underwater today. The rest of our reservation land, original reservation land is prone to flooding every day or every year, sorry. Um, and so, you know, that's affected our some of our homes, our burial sites. Um, we've lost some medicinal plants that our, our, my grandmother and her siblings would go and, and pick. Um, then we have the nuclear power plant that was licensed by the federal government um, back in the late 60s, early 70s, and was able to, uh, was also authorized to store nuclear waste. And all of that is just less than 700 yards from our homes, our businesses, our tribal government center. We are the closest community in the entire nation to the nuclear power plant and nuclear waste storage site. Um, and then if that's not worse, you know, the two of those together, you add the third of the trifecta, and that is the railway lines that cross our uh, one road on and off the reservation multiple times throughout the day with trains that um, can be as long as our reservation. When I think about the flooding along the Mississippi River, isn't there and aren't there other peoples and other towns and municipalities worried about contamination? Um, if they are, they're not making as much noise as we are. It affects us directly, and we have to spend our own money to build uh, berms and sandbag to protect our, our business. We've even had to build up the road uh, that comes on the reservation with our own money, even though it's not a tribal road. We had to build up the road. We um, had to move homes uh, to the other side of the road. So, yeah, it's, it's something that our community deals with. And um, I, I'm not saying that there's not any other communities out there that deal with it, but at least not to the level that we are and obviously not as vocal as we are about it. And you said that the assistance is minimal at best. And uh, the, the I'm wondering, does the National Regulatory Commission have anything to do with helping you out? We do work with an um, NRC with the nuclear power plant. Um, we do have a contact point there who, who contacts us regularly with um, anything that goes on. If there's a reportable incident that happens, things like that. So the island that we share with the power plant, um, there is no movement whatsoever. Is there anything with the state or even the government, any kind of recompense, reparation or remedial action taken since the installation in, 19, in the 1930s of the dam? No, we had to fight um, when they wanted to increase the number of casks that were allowed on site. We uh, had to fight that. And unfortunately, obviously we lost, um, but one of the things that we were able to get put into place with the change of the law was um, a payment to us from Excel. It's nowhere near the payment that they pay Red Wings, the city of Red Wing for in lieu of taxes, um, even though we're the ones that shoulder the majority of the burden of the plant and the waste. And when your tribal community, you say, has to move, you are asking the Congress to actually put into trust, I think it was 1,200 acres? Mm -hmm. Correct. Um, with the that law I was talking about where the state allowed uh, more casts to be stored and in exchange, well, we fought that, but they also put into place um, a payment to us from Excel. They also uh, wrote in that we could have, or that they 
would agree to up to 1500 acres in a trust. Um, and so that's part of that, that deal. We found 1200 acres that's contiguous. It's really hard to find land that's around this area that's contiguous. So we were pretty fortunate to find this. It is in our ancestral homelands. Um, and it's actually further away than any, than our current reservation to any other reservation. So, um, yeah, that's where we'd like to have the land put into trust. Um, and if that were to happen, we would agree to drop our claims that we have against the federal government for the, the flooding of our lands. They, the so, Congress never approved the flooding of that land and the taking of that land. And it's still, we still don't have the ability to use a portion of that land because it's literally underwater. Seems like you can't win for for losing or whatever that saying is, but yep. I'm, think, I'm thinking about the, you know, the power to the reservation. Do you also receive free power so to run your businesses there and homes? Uh, no, <laughs> we don't. We wow. don't even get our electricity from Excel Energy. We get our electricity from Dakota Electric. Uh, we're not Excel customers with electricity. So um, yeah, people are very surprised when they hear we don't get our electricity from Excel. Our electricity comes from Dakota Electric. Yeah, so we are working, though, on a net zero project, despite all the things that are happening to us uh, by the federal government hands, we are in the process of working on a net zero project, trying to change that that focus on energy that we've had for almost 50 years plus down here to more of a positive one. We are going to be offsetting the carbon emissions that we have, which is about 20 million annually um, with renewable energy. So we will be a net zero community. We will be hopefully one of the first net zero communities, uh, tribal communities in the country. And we're hoping that what we learn, the do's and don'ts um, will help other not only tribal communities, but just communities in general. So we can help with a climate issue that we are all facing. And um, we're excited about this project. It's a lot of work. Um, it's moving slower than I would like to, but we're, we're doing a really good job and we have really good partners with Indian Energy and Chief Strategy Group. That's good to hear. I'm wondering about how long the, the government, federal government has been ignoring all the warnings, even though there's been documentation the flooding, um, it's been happening since 1938 when they Whoa. they put the dam in. Yeah, it immediately flooded our lands. Um, and it was just under half of our original reservation lands were flooded. And um, a portion of that is still flooded today. Uh, a good portion of our lands that aren't flooded continually, um, they, they're continually have the ability to be flooded every year, depending on how much snowfall we get in the winter, how much rain we get in the spring. Um, the water can get, or the ground can get really saturated around here. Um, and we used to be where flooding was just like one time a year or during the spring season. Um, a few years ago, we got an email from our emergency planner that said in October, we are at high levels of flooding. I've never had an email from our emergency planner as late as October that we were having flooding issues. That's something that we usually get in the spring, maybe early, early summer, but never in October. So Shelly Buck, let's talk about the potential dangers that that's stored on your reservation. Yeah, there's over a thousand tons um, of spent nuclear fuel that's authorized to sit next door to us. Uh, currently they have 47 casks full of spent nuclear fuel 
and they are licensed by the time they're decommissioned, they're licensed to have 98, I believe it is. So they're going to have a lot of waste there. The federal government was supposed to have a national repository. I believe it was by 1998. I may be a little off on that, but in the 90s. And we sit here today, 2021, almost 2022, still with no national repository. Our only hope right now is that there are um, interim storage sites. There's two of them that are trying to get um, put up and they're coming into some issues and so we don't really know where we sit with this this waste. And I honestly, my my own opinion, I don't think this waste is going to be going anywhere in my lifetime, probably my children's lifetime and maybe grandchildren's lifetime. I know a lot of displacement of Native people from their original homeland takes a toll on the culture. Is there any evidence? Of course, I would mm-hmm. say yes. But for our listeners, you know, can you describe any of that uh, the, a yeah. lack of cultural involvement. Yeah. Yeah. Um, for the flooding, the flooding really affected. Um, we have always had behind our our business here along the Mississippi. We always had a an area where our people would go and tap maple, tap maple trees. Mm-hmm. And because of the constant flooding, um, they are no longer to tap. They're no longer able to tap there. And so we've had to look for a different site to tap. Um, so it's affected that it's affected some of the wildlife. It's affected our wild rice. Um, we've been trying to, uh, reintroduce wild rice into the area. And because of the unpredictable water flows and levels of water uh, along the Mississippi, we've had a really, really hard time getting our wild rice fields to stick. Um, and then of course you, you add in (laughs) the, the sulfur and, and, other chemicals and crap that come from the north down our way along the Mississippi that contaminate our wild rice. And, you know, it's, it's really hard on us to get that wild ricing back. So I know in 2019, the final question here is 2019, the, the members of Congress, they introduced uh, the Prairie Island Indian Community Land Claim Settlement Act. And yes. it seems that has not gone anywhere Correct. Um, It was introduced in, I believe it was October 2019 by uh, Representative or Congresswoman Angie Craig. Um, Congresswoman Betty McCollum signed on to it. Congressman Tom Cole signed on to it. And there were some other people that had signed on as co-authors to the bill over a few months. Um, It never got a hearing because the... um, there was tribal opposition from within the state of Minnesota and the Congress individuals um, didn't ask for a hearing because of the opposition from a couple of the tribes here in Minnesota. With the new secretary of the interior, um, Deb Holland, has that reached her desk and have you had any response? I don't know if it has actually reached um, Secretary Holland's desk personally, but I do know it has reached her office. We had a meeting with Brian Newland, uh, who's recently been appointed to the uh, to the Department of Interior, and um, we had a good meeting with him. And our staff have been working with him and his staff. And for the first time ever, someone from his office had has just come down to to visit us at Prairie Island and literally see the conditions we were were in. It's the first time ever. 
anyone from the administration and administration, especially in that department, has come down to visit us to see our, our conditions, even though we've invited them all. Well, thank you, Shelley Buck. Is there any final thought that you'd like to leave to listeners? I just want to say, you know, people talk about environmental justice and it's always targeted towards um, marginalized groups of people. Um, in this case, it's, it's the Prairie Island Indian community, a federally recognized tribe. And, you know, we're, we're tired of it. Um, we had a survey done a few years ago, probably 15 years ago now, about our school age kids and what what the what are things that they are worried about, concerned about at their age versus kids of other um, groups of people. And the number one thing that our kids were concerned about at that time was the fact that if they went to school one day, something would happen at the plant or at the flooding and their mom and dad would not be here and their home wouldn't be here to come home to. And that's heart-wrenching as a, a parent um, to hear that that's what our kids worry about at that age. Our kids shouldn't have to worry about those things. And you won't see that in most other communities. Yeah, it's like growing up in a danger zone, alarm, mm -hmm. hearing all the time. And I get that. Thank you so much. And we'll keep in contact. I hope things uh, move along there. More recognition comes to the danger, actually, that you're living in. Um, but thank you, Shelly, again for yes. being here. Good visiting thank with you. you. It's been yes, an honor. you too. Thank you. Yes, thank but you. Shelly Buck is president of the Prairie Island Midiwakantan Indian community in Minnesota describing the Dakota people experiencing environmental crisis. And so find out more at prairieisland.org. The dark and distant drumming the pounding of the hoops The silence of everything that moves Late at night you see them Decked out in shiny jewels The coming of the caravan of fools Like the wings of a dove the waiter's white glove seems to shimmer by the light of the pool. Some dull blinding winter, when you can't help but lose, you're running with the caravan of fools. Love and devotion, deep as any ocean, don't play by anybody's rules. With your carousel of horses and your unforeseen forces, you're running with the caravan of fools. Caravan of fools. Caravan of fools, you're running with the caravan of fools. 
Yeah, and that was the legendary John Prine with Caravan of Fools. And now, First Voices Radio, I'm your host, Teokasen Ghost Horse, and I'd like to personally thank you for staying with us on this radio program, First Voices Radio, as we remember the late Dakota activist, spoken word poet, John Trudell, who left us in 2015. And I'd like to say that uh, in my time on the radio and within the radio and moving up and sideways and up the ranks, if that's what it's called, is in my time of being a student of America, a student in this educational process. I learned a lot of things um, from this uncle, Lexi John Trudell, and a lot of things were, you know, brought to too simple to the simple fact that things needed to be simplified in order to understand it. And when we get too lost into the, uh, <clears throat> I'd say, the lost meanings of this language called English, then, you know, we spend our lives searching for who we are. And so when I'm bringing these news, these interviews, um, and these views, actually, of Native people, we are the community, the community that was here at this time, as you call it, Thanksgiving, and as an Indigenous person, it's a little different for us, you know, and um, it is, you can have your fun, you can baste your turkey and do what you need to do, but when it comes to Native people, where's that heart for what has gone on with the land? So I'm thinking, you know, this one introduction that I have is now there, our animals have poverty. There's no animals left. There's no land for them to thrive as, as much as indigenous peoples do. So you, the American. So I talk about you. Yes, I do. I talk about a lot of things. And I had opened up for John Trudell several times in Washington, University of Washington, in New York City, and out throughout the West in those times that he was with us before he left us in 2015. Although his remarks are from 1980, I'm always amazed at how his observations have stood the test of time and still resonate today. And the names of these U.S. politicians that John mentions have changed over the years. Um, but the, the, the issues actually are the same that face us then as indigenous peoples. And uh, John Trudell has been identified as a poet, a fighter, a an indigenous rights activist, agitator, and many other things. But if you were to have asked him which of these descriptions best suited him, he would have refused to be pinned down. John said, actually, I don't consider myself to be any of those things. There are things that I do, but there are, there are parts of me. They're not the total. And John Trudell was a complex sum of all that he, he saw, endured, and accomplished in his six, 69 years, a time which he experienced more than most people might have in several lifetimes. So more information about John Trudell can be found at johntrudell.com. So go there and listen. And our guest for this next segment of First Voices Radio is John Trudell, the Dakota activist, the Dakota human being. What you will be hearing is in 1980, John Trudell, 1980, he was saying these things. Stay tuned. I'd like to... Uh thank all of you for coming here tonight and sharing this evening with us and tonight i'd like to talk in honor of in honor of the water and the earth 
and our brother Leonard Peltier were faced with a very serious situation in this generation. There are insane people who wish to rule the world. They wish to continue to rule the world on violence and repression. And we are all the victims of that violence and repression. We as the indigenous people of the Western Hemisphere have been resisting this violence and this oppression for 500 years. We know that the black people have been resisting it for at least that long. And we know that the white people have had to endure it thousands of years. And now it's come full swing to this generation that we live in, nuclearization of the world. You see, this cannot be, we cannot allow this to continue to go on. We cannot do it. You see, we cannot expect that the pro-nuclear oppressor, that other side, we cannot expect that they're going to change for us. They are going to become more brutal. They're going to become more repressive because it's a matter of dollars and their illusionary concepts of power. We have to reestablish our identity. We have to understand who we are and where we fit in the natural order of the world because our oppressor deals in illusions. They tell us that it is power, but it is not power. They may have all the guns and they may have all the racist laws and judges and they may control all the money, but that is not power. These are imitations of power and they are only power because in our minds we allow it to be power. But it's all an imitation. Racism and violence, racism and guns, economics, the brutality of the American corporate state way of life is nothing more than violence and repression and it has nothing to do with power. It is brutality. It is a lack of a sane, it's, it's, it's a lack of a sane balance. The people who have created this system and they perpetuate this system, they are out of balance. They have made us out of balance. They have come into our minds and they've come into our hearts and they've programmed us because we live in this society and they've put us out of balance and because we are out of balance, we no longer have the power to deal with them. They have conquered us as a natural power. See, we are power. They deal in violence and repression. We are power. We are a part of the natural world. All of the things of the natural world are a natural part of the creation and feed off the energy of our sacred mother earth. We are power. But they have separated us from our spiritual connection to the earth. So people feel powerless. We look at the oppressor and we look at the enemy because they have the most guns and the most lies and the most money. People start to feel powerless. We are power. We are a natural part of the creation. We were put here on the sacred mother earth to serve a purpose. And somewhere in the history of people, we're forgetting what the purpose is. The purpose is to honor the earth. The purpose is to protect the earth. The purpose is to live in balance with the earth. The earth is our mother. And we will never free ourselves as human people. We will never feel free ourselves as sexual people. We will never free ourselves until we address the issue of how we live in balance with the earth. Because all of our resistance and all of our struggle is hollow, it's false. It's another one of those oppressors' hypocrisies. If we do not look out for the welfare of the earth first, because I do not care who it is, any child that turns on their mother is living in a terrible, terrible confusion. The earth is our mother. We must take care of the earth. They pollute. This oppressor, this machine, this machine that has gone mad and run amok, it is berserk. They keep telling us, you know, progress. They keep telling us face reality. Well, let's deal with reality. 
reality is the earth can no longer take this attack. We cannot, we can no longer allow this thing to continue where it's polluting the air. It's polluting the water, polluting our food. They pollute the air, they pollute the water, they pollute our food, they pollute our minds. They put us out of balance. They have made us be insecure with ourselves. They have put us into a situation where we have to play many roles. We got, you know, we got to be chauvinist or we got to be some, on some kind of a class trip or some kind of an illusionary power trip. We got to play a role, see? We got to play a role to communicate with other people. We got to go through this charade because they have attacked our self-confidence. They have attacked our self-confidence and they have made us to listen to them. They have made us to believe that they are power, but they are not. They are violent and they are brutal, but they are not power. We are a natural part of the earth. As a natural part of the earth, we have the energy and the power that is the earth. The earth will take care of us if we will remember the earth in more than just our words. If we will remember the earth in our way of life, we are all here to play a role. And all of the animals and all of the life on the earth is playing its proper role except the human people. Somehow we are, re we are betraying. We are betraying our purpose here. And that is why we live in the confusion that we live in. They tell us, they want us to believe that we are powerless. We are a natural part of the earth. We are an extension of that natural energy, that natural energy which is spirit and which is power. Power, a blizzard is power. An earthquake is power. A tornado is power. These are all things of power that no oppressor, no machine age can put these things of power in a prison. No machine age can make these things of power submit to the machine age. That is natural power. And just as it takes millions and billions of elements to make a blizzard to happen or to make the earthquake, to make the earth to move, then it's going to take millions and billions of us. We are power. We have that power. We have the potential for that power. I remember in the 60s and the 70s, and I heard all this thing about power to the people, and I never really understood because everyone was saying power to the people, and they were talking about demonstrator, they were talking about vote, they were talking about dealing on the terms of the oppressor. Our power will come back to us, our sense of balance will come back to us when we go back to the natural way of protecting and honoring the earth. If we have forgotten how to do it, and if we think that it looks overwhelming and we can never accomplish it, then all we have to do and each of us as an individual can go out and we can find some spot on the earth that we could relate to. Feel that energy. Feel that power. That's where our safety will come. The earth will take care of us. We have to understand that the American corporate state will not take care of us. They do not care about us. Maximize their profit. That is where their whole life value is placed upon maximize the profit. They will turn us against each other to maximize the profit because they have done it in the past. Nuclear energy, it's the final assault. Nuclear energy should tell each and every one of us that they have gone beyond the reasons of sanity, that they are no longer sane, that they no longer deal with the real natural world because they want to create a radioactivity, all right, that is going to make it impossible for the Mother Earth to take care of our life. We will not destroy the world. We are arrogant and we are stupid and we are foolish if we believe that we will destroy the world. Man has the ability to destroy all of the peoples 
ability to live on the earth, but we do not have the power to destroy the earth. The earth will heal itself. The earth will purify itself of us. If it takes a billion years to get rid of the radiation, the earth will do it because the earth has that kind of a time. We do not. Our obligations and our loyalties have to be to the earth and they have to be to our sense of community and to our people and to our relations. Our obligations and our loyalty should not be to a government that will not take care of our needs. Our obligations and loyalty should not be to a government that has proven time and time again that it is the enemy of the people unless the people are rich in dollars. That has been the consistent history of Western civilization and the American corporate state government. That's reality. They are not our friends. They do not care for us. We have to face that reality that we have an enemy. We want to talk about nuclear war. Everybody's afraid of nuclear war that's going to come between the Americans and the Russians and the Chinese or whoever. But are they not waging nuclear war on us now when the miners die from cancer from mining that uranium? Are they not waging nuclear war with Three Mile Island when they release that stuff into the air? Are they not waging nuclear war when they build all of these nuclear reactors and it's not safe? Are they not waging nuclear war when they attack the Indian people on their land, militarily attack the Indian people and racistly attack the Indian people so that they can get at the natural resources to feed their radioactive machine? That is war. And they are waging it against us. They bribe Congress. They bribe your elected officials. They terrorize and intimidate your elected officials by getting the FBI to blackmail them. Those are acts of war. We will have to come to a time in our lifetime, and it will come in our lifetime when we are going to have to deal with the fact that the enemy has taken over your government. The government is not your ally. The government will use you, chew you up, and spit you out. You think that we are wrong? You think that we are talking unrealistically? Then go look at your elders and see what has happened to your elders in your machine-age society. See what kind of respect that they get. See what kind of a voice they are allowed into your society, what kind of input they have. See what their final reward of happiness is after working for this slave state for 30 or 40 years and allowing someone else to exploit their, their labors. What is racism? Racism is an act of war. Sexism is an act of war. It's a war against our human dignity and our rights to self-respect. This is the war that they wage there. War, they are warlike. And we have to understand that Amer the American corporate state got to where it's at through the act of war. The next war, you want to worry, you want to think about a war? The next war that you better be concerned about is the one that they're going to fight here. Here in the continental United States. They have fought many wars here. They fought us all along, see, because we said it's ours and you haven't got a right to it. And they fought us. Now you all are claiming that it's yours under this illusionary concept of private ownership of property and they're going to fight you. But they're going to call it national security and energy crisis. They're going to call it constitutional rights and they're going to call it judicial proceedings. They're going to nationalize, you know, your military coup is going to come by, they're going to nationalize the police departments. That's your military coup in the name of violence, rising crime. But all we must do is look in the corporate office and see the rising crime that is taking place there and nobody's going to jail for it. So we got to understand that they are arming themselves to wage a war against us and it's gonna be called the, the war of law and order because they're twisting it around. For 500 years, my people have resisted. 
For 500 years, we will resist again if it becomes necessary. We want to be able to relate and communicate with all of the people that are living on this land. But we want to be able to relate and communicate from a position of truth. You all got to face the truth. We have had to face it through 500 years of genocide. We have had to face the truth. We have had to live the truth. We have had to die the truth before we're going to ever see our evolutionary liberation. The people that call themselves Americans are going to have to face the truth also. They tell us to be realistic, that progress means all these things have to happen. They tell us that we can't go back to the old way. They tell us be realistic. But there is no old way, no new way. There is a way of life. We must live in balance with the earth. We must do it. We have no choice. If we allow ourselves to, to be apathetic, or we allow ourselves to be lied to or tolerate their lies about what they are doing to the earth, then we are betraying our intention. We are betraying our purpose here. We cannot protect that seventh generation if we do not protect the earth. We cannot protect ourselves if we do not protect the earth. The earth gives us life, not the American government. The earth gives us life, not the multinational corporate government. The earth gives us life. We need to have the earth. We must have it. Otherwise, our life will be no more. So we must resist what they do. They want to break our spirit. They will do everything and anything to break our spirit, our will to live. We must learn to resist. We must learn to see. We must learn to look. We must learn to step out of this reactionaryism. All of our lives, they've had control of us through their schools and through their TV, their electronic media. They've had control of us all of our lives. They have programmed us. They have made us become reactionary. We don't think we react to what they do. We don't think we react to everything that they do. We react to it. They're setting us up in the 80s because they know consistently throughout the past, the people have always reacted to what they have to their manipulations of circumstance. They know that the people always react. They're counting on it in the 80s. See, and they outnumber us with guns. They outnumber us with money. They outnumber us with votes. They control all the machines that count the votes. They got it all stacked in their favor, except there's a key. The key is we must start thinking and stop reacting. They have... The oppressor has no thinkers. They have no philosophers. It's all scientific. It's all economic. It's all manipulative. They have no thinkers. You go look and you deal with the enemy. And what the enemy does is you, the enemy will send somebody out on the street to hit you in the head. And the guy says, I'm only taking my orders. And if, you're, if you can come from a position of strength to this guy that's hitting you in the head and say, hey, you got to stop hitting me in the head. We want to talk. Then he says, well, I have to go to my superior to see. They have no thinkers either. If we will start to think and we will learn to see, to see what reality really is, we will outnumber them through the thinking process. We will take our minds away from them because through their manipulation of our mind, they control our spirit. And they know this is true. They tell us, see, they want us to believe that we are powerless. They want us to believe that we are becoming overwhelmed, that they can overwhelm us. You see, but they're paranoid. 
They are more paranoid than any of us are, no matter what happens to us. Because, see, they have to put people in here to come and listen to what we're saying so they can go back and tell. So they're afraid. They're afraid because they know we're talking about reality. Now, why are they afraid? They are afraid because they know that they are dealing with the illusions of power, which are based on the realities of violence and brutality. They're afraid. See, they don't want people to think. They don't want people to be talking and they don't want people to think about what they talk about. Because they know. They've known it all along that they built their whole thing on illusions. And because they have drawn us into giving this illusionary world all this power, they have taken our power away from us. Because we believe in the illusions. It's going to be real hard for us to get our way back. We have to deal with the economics. We have to deal with the politics. We have to deal with the whole nuclear madness. But we're going to have to purify and cleanse our spirit a little bit. Our resistance. Movements. We have to think real seriously about movements. See, movements make up a resistance. We have to be very careful and as how we organize. Because they're counting on us to react the same way we did in the 60s and the 70s. You think that this energy crisis and you think that this economic inflation thing, you think it's an accident? You think it just happened? They saw in the 60s that the American people were becoming more liberal because they were becoming more affluent. And because they were becoming more affluent, they were starting to say, well, equal rights for the blacks. The young people are starting to say, well, it doesn't matter what you look like. We all have a worth. And then that led up to where everybody started saying the war in Vietnam is wrong. The other side, they saw that all of these conclusions were based on a level of affluency that was reaching the average American and the average American was becoming more liberalistic in their thinking because they were getting this affluency. So they're getting even. They've had a redistribution of the wealth. They did it through energy, through oil, to make the people more poor. They did it. That's what Watergate was all about. While everybody was looking at Richard Nixon and did he or didn't he, they had a redistribution of the wealth and the price of gasoline and bread went up 100%. See, now, if you didn't have Nixon to look at and be concerned about, then maybe you all would not have allowed them to raise these prices. See, but by the time that they got the prices raised by 100%, it was too late for the American people to ever recover and deal with it. They're getting even for the 60s and the 70s. Count on it. It's not an accident. You've got a racist, class, sexist, ruling class power structure that exists in the world, and it's composed of heavy industrialists, the people who are, who are part machine. And they intend that they're going to keep their hold on the world economics. We live in, an, in a machine world, an industrialized world. We got to deal with race. Two-thirds of the world's natural resources are on non-white land because that's where two-thirds of the world population is. One-third of the world's resources, because of technology coming out of the white land, one-third of the world's resources are almost totally used up. But technology spreads like any disease. Technology spreads. So there's two-thirds, there's two-thirds with the majority of the world's population. They got all the natural resources. So at some point in the immediate future, they're going to have all the technology which makes them the new machine power. And it changes the whole thing around like they did to us. When they wanted our land in the Dakotas, they used their technology to stay ahead. They came and they gave us a few Winchester repeating rifles because they had Gatling guns. 
And then they could justify their murder, see, because America, the hypocrisy is they must arm you before they murder you. So that was how they went about it. We look at today and now by creating a dependency on nuclear power, nuclear energy, by creating a dependency upon that, there's only a handful of countries that control the mass, the mechanism of mass production of this. All the countries in the world don't. And you watch where the nuclear bombs are going. They're going to places like Africa and the Middle East. And they're going to give some of these people some bombs in the hopes. And they'll even have some of these people drop one of these atom bombs on each other one of these days. See, they can afford to hand the bombs out there because these nations have no capability of delivering the bomb back to where it came from. Be it the Soviet Union or America. They create a dependency on nuclear energy. Then everybody has to adjust their needs and we stay dependent. And then through the end of it, before it's done, they intend to use their nuclear energy to be able to step into the net, into the third world and take the natural resources. It's all got to do with economics and racist power trips that have been in existence since before Christ. There's no need for it because of electricity, you know, for us to survive and resist. We are going to have to understand and recognize that we are energy because we are a natural part of the creation. And if we are going to effectively stand up to our enemy, we're going to have to be able to do it based upon our connection to the real truth, to reality. Our enemy is abusing, is abusing the earth. Our enemy abuses us, abuses all of the sacred things of life. But we are an extension of the earth. We are energy and we are spirit. Before we will be strong enough to fight and stand up to the enemy, we are going to have to evaluate how we use our own energy. Are we misusing our own energy? Are we misusing ourselves? Because we got to deal with that before we can deal with being misused by someone else. Alternative energy. We are alternative energy. We are it. We have power. We must gear ourselves for a long struggle. We must never give up hope. We must never turn our back on it and say we're not going to make it. Because those who turn their back and say we're not going to make it, then they're not going to. That's it for them. But the spirit of the people, the spirit of the people, the spirit of the earth. We live in a natural world. We go through we go through lives. All of our ancestors who were here before us, all of our relations who were here with us and went into the spirit world. See, they didn't go to heaven or hell. They're here. They are spirit power. We connect with them. They will help us. They will help us to survive this thing. This madness that is coming, this machine madness that is being imposed upon all of us. What we must do is we must seriously think and consider our situation today as human beings. Because we're talking about sexism and ageism and racism and classism. We're talking about a nuclear attack against the earth. We're talking about a lot of things. They want to confuse us with nuclear bombs. They want to confuse us with the draft. They want to confuse us with the whole economics. But we must put, take a little bit of time every day anyway. And put some of that confusion to the side and think about who we are in relationship to the earth. The earth has the ability to heal and the earth has the ability to help us. The earth is power. We're looking to the wrong source for our power. And the more we look to the wrong source, the more powerless we become. And they will attack. You take that flower power movement that was in the middle 60s. These were young white people coming out of middle America. And these were the ones that were saying it doesn't matter what you look like or how you dress or how much money you make. And they became a threat to America. So America attacked them. America attacked them with LSD and speed and heroin and drugs. America took them and discredited them and said, said 
They're no longer flower power children who come from your middle class homes. They are drug addicts and they had a generation gap. See, but everybody was so caught up in mind expansionism and idealism. They said, well, the LSD is a good thing for us and we really want it because it helps us to grow and see. But I consider it to be an act of war. The CIA was experimenting with LSD for specifically for that purpose, to use it in chemical warfare. And they saw a whole segment of the American public was turning, turning into a, a consciousness that talked about true human life values. So they dropped their LSD bomb. You see, because mind expansion and consciousness alteration was taking place. That's what the civil rights movement was. That's what the flower power movement was. That's what the anti-war movement was. There was people whose minds and their consciousness was expanding and starting to become more realistic. So they turned around and they dropped a few things on us to divert our energy. So we have, we have to be very careful. We must always think. We must always look to see because there's an answer for everything that is going on if we're willing to take the time to look for it and to see it. We are power. We are energy. We are spirit. We are the people. We want to be free. We want our liberation. Then we must take the responsibility that goes with liberation and freedom. And that responsibility is, is to be able to take the time to analyze and to think and to feel things out to their logical conclusion. Feel, stay with these things to the end, to the good conclusion. We cannot come and get involved in this for a year or two years. We must pick our way of life and we must live to it. And no matter how hard anybody here thinks that it is, you think about all of our relatives that are locked up in prison cells. Think about how hard it is for them. But they're strong enough to endure. Well, we're out here. We should be strong enough to endure also. Think about all the women and children and, and men, the people that have had to endure centuries and centuries of oppression. Strong enough to endure. We must do that. We must find a way to communicate with each other. We must find a way to have a more open human compassion. We must go back to the ways of the earth. It's the only way we're going to protect the unborn. We must never quit. We must be resistance. We must build a resistance that passes on the information and the knowledge of our mistakes to the next generation. We must not become too movement oriented where we get caught up in our own arrogance because we're chasing a cause. We must build our power. And we must understand that we build strong. We must build to survive, not to change the politics right now. We must build to survive because pretty soon, pretty soon a lot of these conversations will not, they will not allow them to take place anymore. Pretty soon we're going to have to be looking at each other in a way where we're either, where we're allies. There's going to come a time in our lifetime and many of us will see it. There's going to come a time where we're going to have to run to each other for safety. That time is coming. And anyone who refuses to believe it, anyone who still believes the American lie that it can't happen here, then you have our sympathy. And we do not mean to offend you. <laughs> Stay with us as long as you can. And when you see it start to happen, then you make your decision. And they got this thing well planned. And they intend that they're going to break the backbone of resistance in America. And they're going to do it under their so-called energy crisis. I don't know what the answers are or the solutions. But we know that let's pray every day. We could pray. We could pray to the earth and we could pray to the ways that we believe and pray for some kind of understanding and take a little bit of time to get to know ourselves and be comfortable with ourselves. 
Take a little time, see, because the enemy has come into us. The enemy, has, the enemy is inside of us. The enemy exploits our ego, exploits our needs and our wants. You know, there are things in this world that we need to have to survive. And there are things in this world that we want because we want them. We are going to have to relearn the difference. We're going to have to learn to take what we need, even if it means giving up some of the excess that we want. And if we cannot give too much to a way of life. I thank you for your time. Don Chudell was born February 15, 1946 in Omaha, Nebraska, and grew up in around a nearby Santee Sioux Reservation. His father was Santee, Dakota, his mother the tribal roots were in Mexico, and Trudell became acquainted with hardship at an early age. His mother died when he was six and watched his father struggle to feed and clothe his family. And this experience left Trudell with a deep contempt for American work ethic, compounded by the endemic racial and economic injustice which surrounded him. And like so many other people with limited economic opportunities, he found himself in the military. And he saw what happened in Vietnam off the shores and coastal waters of that country on a ship during doing a search and rescue mission for downed pilots. And uh, the combat he saw was from a distance, yet his heritage sensitized him to the racism he saw during the war, whether by Americans toward Asians or the U.S. military toward its own minority troops. And John Trudell spoke to us from out of the past, 1980. And except for a few trendy words and the song remains the same for Americans dreaming for a better situation. And this is First Voices Radio. Thanks for listening. Thank you for joining us here on First Voices. Ancestral living, memoried outlines tracing, today into many parts of the always bends. The seeds of life, chances to reseed again, some wild seed. Wild seed is what we need. Global warmings, climate change accelerates. Any world feels like it's running out of breath. The land is feeling the heat it can't get used to. And the sky keeps needing room to breathe. Burning bridges and throwing cautions to the wind. Middled and waiting for a hard rain's going to fall. Don't know what to do, doesn't know what to do. After believe, believed its way into some things. Now it doesn't know how to believe its way out. The human beings turned into the human race. Then the human race raced faster than it could. The progressive race in an aggressive hurry, life into discardings, used ups, and destroyeds. Then comes a time for things to start looking up. In the graying black and whites, it's time to color. Planting the earth in wild seed greens and hues, time for those deepening roots holding together. The future through the past, and earth to the sky, somewhere in the balance and energy of reality, 
watching our step, when we step, where we step, is a way of seeing what we're doing as we do it, living the wearing out of lives in over our heads, sow what we reap before we reap what we sow, could be better off's way of making things better, today is as good a day as any for remembering, the earth and the people and how to live together. Wild seeds to help heal the spirit, heal the land. Planting seed into crops of plant energy as basics for fuel, food, shelter, clothing, and cleaner oxygen. 